0: It's hard work to produce good quality fruit in this region. It's cold, it's wet, um, it's, it is marginal, um, but produce fantastic fruit for, for sparkling wine production.
1: This is the fifth episode of The Producers in Launceston, a special podcast series celebrating the food, wine and people of this very special part of Tasmania. I'm Danny Vallant, and I'm so happy to be spending time with you in and around Lonnie. Ian White is the Cellar Door Manager and Experience Maestro at Clover Hill, a sparkling wine producer 50 kilometres northeast of Launceston in the Pipers River wine region. The Cellar Door is a beautiful place to visit for tastings, in-depth wine experiences and lovely food. It's a glorious spot. On a clear day, you can see Bass Strait, the sea that links Tasmania to the mainland. Clover Hill is owned by Goulet Wine Estates, an American family company which also owns Taltani in Victoria and wineries in California and France. Clover Hill's sparkling wines are crafted using the French méthode traditionnelle, a highly specialised process that requires expertise, experience and a sensitive hand. Clover Hill probably wouldn't exist if not for the pathfinding Pipers Brook Winery 10 minutes up the road. Founded by Dr. Andrew Peary, a giant of the Australian winemaking world, he identified this region as a great one for sparkling wine.
0: My name is Ian White. I'm the, my title is the retail hospitality manager for Clover Hill Wines, the cellar door manager, um, at our Labrina Vineyard in northern Tasmania, northeastern Tasmania, in the Pipers River wine region. So we're sitting on the top of a an old, vol- old volcano, uh, about 272 meters above sea level, um, facing uh, due north. The vineyard's a big amphitheater. Um, we have a, an elevation drop from 270 down to about 100, 160, 150 uh, meters below us. Um, with most of the vineyard sort of um, curving around sort of northeast. Uh, we are a traditional method sparkling wine producer. So the history of Clover Hill st- um, starts back, I suppose it's good to, n- to sort of mention right from the beginning, the, the original name of the farm that we purchased a piece of was called Clover Hill. So we didn't create the brand It was already, or the name, it was already there. And that was, a, um, I guess, a nod to, um, to, the, um, to the history and the families that created a multi-use farming property. Um, and some of those um, family members still work for us, um, and have worked for us for thirty-five odd years. Um, so we, the family that owned Clover Hill, was looking for a a region somewhere in the world that we could produce premium. They could produce premium quality sparkling wine with um, groundbreakers like Aunt Dr. Andrew Perry, who'd already sort of identified um, this area of Tasmania for, produce, for producing uh, great sparkling wine. Um, this region was chosen for that, so we purchased a multi-use farming property in 1986, um, 66, he- 66 hectares in total, um, with only 22 hectares planted under vine. Um, we first we planted our first grapes in 1987, um, and progressively planted out the vineyard, with the last fruit going in in '96, which is some Pinot Gris. Um, and we planted the property with a um, classic trilogy of, sh- of champagne varieties, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Munier. We produced our first commercial wine or, or made our first commercial vintage in 1991, which was released in, in late 93 um, and have been, have been producing, focusing on producing um, our vintage fruit as our, as our sort of mainstay of a portfolio, which is a blend of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Munier, the three varieties um, ever since. Um so yes the cellar door that we're in now was commissioned and opened in 2000 end of 2017 so we've been open for just under just under 5 years. The wines that are available that we produce that are readily available in the market are, are non-vintage cuve uh and uh vintage brut. The vintage brut's been the wine that we have been making since 1991. Um, so we set minimum lees times for these two wines so the non-vintage cuvee bright citrusy green apple with two years on yeast lees Uh, vintage brute uh, minimum three years on lees but regularly achieving more more like four years Um, and is more classic champagne characteristics so toasty, nutty, biscuity um, sort of briny oyster shell minerality and honey characteristics coming through
1: Ian White has a long background in hospitality, including time at top Brisbane restaurant Echo. What made him move to Tasmania, and how did he find his way to Clover Hill?
0: My background is in hospitality, restaurant management, familiar um, um, in most of my most of my career up until this point. Um, I reached a point after. Um, being in a very successful restaurant environment, uh, um, Echo Philip Johnson's Echo Bistro in Brisbane for a decade, where I sort of sat back and went, "Okay, what's my next? What's my next step?" Um, I realised that I hadn't. What I really wanted to do was work directly for a wine company, uh, or in a, in a wine region, which I hadn't been able to do. Um, I met Dr. Andrew Perry um, in. 1997, when he first released the um, Piri Sparkling uh, for Piper's Brook, um, and uh, maintained that relationship. Uh, he reached out to me in 2007, said, would I be interested in moving to Tasmania to manage um, the then Tamar Ridge Estate cellar doors? Um, and that was too good an opportunity to pass up. Um, after being down here for about 10 years, I then sort of um, heard that Overhill was investing in a in a, um, a fairly substantial um, cellar door direct consumer facility, um, an experience based facility. So again, that looked like a way too good an opportunity to pass up. Um, so I reached out to to um, to the uh, management of the company, and and I've been here now for five years.
1: Tasmania is well known for sparkling wine. And this northern part of the island is especially appreciated for soil, terrain and climate. Clover Hill is part of a cluster of respected wineries in the region.
0: This region was identified um, early on, sort of late 60s, early 70s, uh, by people like Dr. Andrew Perry as being ideal for the production of, of sparkling wine. So we get very high acids, even in Tasmanian terms, very high acidity, um, which means uh, great longevity and brightness um, in the in the white finished products. Sparkling wines produced all over Tasmania, um, and great sparkling fruit is produced all over the state. There are a couple of very well-known um, brands, um, us being one of them that are, are known for the production of sparkling sparkling wine. Um, Jantz being one of them, and House of Arras being the other. Um, it's an interesting conversation about about the region, I suppose. The northeast of the state where we are is is cold and humid, uh, which are very similar um, growing conditions to Champagne in France, which is one of the reasons it was identified. Uh, south of the state is cold and dry, um, probably probably produces uh, more consistent quality fruit, I suppose, but. Uh, all the benchmark wine regions around around the world are, are marginal. So the great vineyards of Bordeaux, great vine- vineyards of of um, Burgundy are, are not necessarily renowned for being the easiest places to grow uh, premium quality fruit. And this region's exactly the same. It's it's hard work to produce good quality fruit in this region. It's 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 cold. It's wet. Um, it's it is marginal, um, but. Produce fantastic fruit for for sparkling wine production.
1: Many grape wine regions around the world are marginal, so a long term commitment is more about mindset and rolling with the slings and arrows than sitting back and waiting for bounty.
0: Wine production or growing grapes in this in this region is always difficult. Um, it's no different vintage to vintage depending on conditions. Uh, I think there was a, a a quote by Natalie Fryer. Uh, who's a well-known um, winemaker from the region, she learned a long time ago not to fret about what's happening in the vineyard in any growing season because you can't control it as agriculture. So ultimately, you run the risk of things being wiped out at any given time, but if you go and speak to producers in Burgundy, a third of a a, a Burgundy harvest is destroyed every year as a result. So it's just the nature of agriculture in general you have to roll with it you have to deal with what it is and that's that's the nature of the beast i've been in tasmania for 15 years now no vintage has been the same it's not a consistent regular easy to do thing um but it's the it's high risk high reward
1: the cellar door at clover hill sits above a valley and is oriented to the vines running down the hillside the offerings here go beyond mere tastings to in-depth guided experiences that enrich and educate. I was lucky enough to do a dosage masterclass with Ian, adding sugar to base wine to try to create the right sweetness. Let's just say the more I tasted, the harder the exercise became.
0: Yeah, in the Cellar Door, we, we focus really heavily on, on education, communication and demystifying the the winemaking process because there are very few producers in Australia that just um, produce traditional method sparkling wine most consumers don't actually have have had the experience of actually tasting a lineup of, of sparkling wines so first of all we try to immerse them in um, in the the actual process so they understand what the terminology means. It can be a little uh, daunting looking at um, the terminology that's used in traditional methods sparkling wine. So we try and uh, help them understand that um, a little bit better so they get a little bit more more confidence in the quality of the products. Uh, We do a range of experiences from... um, tutored sort of mini masterclass as a standard tasting through to a uh, dosage masterclass where you we walk you through the actual process of finishing off sparkling wine through to uh, Back Vintage Museum benchmark tastings as well, where we give you a look at um, current vintage and and older vintage wines. Um, So you can see the evolution of sparkling wine as it ages. Again, most consumers don't necessarily think about sparkling wine as a a wine that ages well, but they they are exceptionally long-lived in the right conditions. Um, Also, food and wine matching uh, masterclasses, hands-on... up to your elbows in the vineyard uh, experience as well if you want to get, uh, get your hands dirty and do some pruning and work with the, the vineyard crew. So yeah.
1: Wine is full of special terminology and odd actions that seem obvious to those in the know and intimidating to those who have had less engagement. Let's take disgorgement. In champagne terms, it means popping out a yeast plug that has settled in the neck of the bottle as the wine has matured. It's not the kind of thing you are born knowing. Ian aims to dismantle some of the elitism around wine.
0: The demystifying process, I suppose, for me is... Um, it's taking away some of the um, the nervousness that people have around the terminology and helping them understand what, uh, what the word um, tirage means, which is basically the addition of sugar and yeast to create the secondary fermentation in bottle, which naturally carbonates the wines um, through to um, what disgorging means, what le- the term lees means, so sedimentary yeast that's rid- left over after that process. So basically the, we try and we start by um, asking whether the consumer actually understands the process. If they don't, then using some uh, some handy props that we have, so some of the dosage cures in bottles, some uh, an underscored bottle of sparkling wine that shows the sediment in the bottle, we have to literally walk them through the process and give them a, a good understanding about what what sparkling wine production is all about. I think that matters because. The wine industry overall can be quite elitist. There's a there's a, a vocabulary around um, the the making and um, production, growing of wine grapes that uh, you t- isn't normally explained unless you take the time and the effort to actually research it, and that can in itself be daunting because there are there are um, textbooks out there which are two inches thick and a thousand pages. So I think. It's it's important. So also, so I think the consumer understands where, in a Tasmanian context, um, the quality of Tasmanian sparkling wine and where it sits on a on a world stage, and actually really understands that we are producing um, traditional method sparkling wine that rivals the the best um, sparkling producers in the
1: world. Communicating with wine drinkers relies on deep knowledge that can be passed on in jargon free fashion. How does Ian make sure that he has the right information on hand?
0: The modern wine professional needs to be um, needs to be approachable. I think they need to um, be prepared to share their knowledge. If they're the ones that have have taken the time and the effort um, and have the passion for um, for the knowledge and, and learning about the industry, I think the Especially the, the consumer-facing professionals need to be um, need to educate and need to they need to demystify. They need to um, to bring the consumer on and to and to train or to educate the next generation of wine drinkers. They have to pass on knowledge. I, th- I think there's has always been, and I think Tasmania as a as a whole at this point as there's a separation between production. And communication. Um, There's a separation between how you learn um, about making wine and growing wine grapes to uh, how that is communicated to a consumer. Um, I'm a big advocate for uh, training pathways, career pathways uh, for the consumer-facing professional as well as the production-facing. I make... um, it very obvious to staff and, and myself that I need to understand the process intimately from viticultural, um, the growing of the grapes, what the seasonality of the vineyard is right through to the actual winemaking process as well. So I'm always talking to the guys in the vineyards, talking to the winemakers, filling in blanks in my knowledge, um, using their terminology. So you need to Get into the vineyard and speak to the guys who are actually doing the pruning in the middle of winter to actually use their words, so you can actually then communicate that in an engaging way to to the consumer.
1: Everything at Clover Hill is about creating an experience, from the architecture to the personnel to the structure of the offering. Ian hopes it sets people up for engagement, enjoyment, and a tailored journey at any level. The light bulb moments that I like to
0: see in customers are. are uh, experiential as well as knowledge-based. Um, the way the our Sellador facility has been built, uh, when you first drive up to the into the car park, it actually is a, a spectacular um, building right from the very beginning. So it already sets the scene for um, an experience that feels like it's going to be different. It's not. It's it's sort of randomly pops out of the middle of the nowhere in, um, in a very rural part of, of Tasmania. Um, when you walk down the pathway, you come to a, a, a comparatively small door con- compared to the facade of the building. You step through that door and you just open up to, to a 20-metre expanse that looks north towards Bastrade across the vineyard. I think that's step one. I think you see a, a a visceral sighing and changing of mood when consumers walk through the door and they sort of go, wow, this is, this is something special. Um, and then I think... It's the it's it's about being engaged. It's about engaging the consumer um, and being excited about communicating the knowledge and the and the passion that we have for traditional med, sparkling wine. So sitting down, asking the questions, and and there are no stupid questions in the wine industry. I think allowing people to ask questions that they've probably been gagging to ask for years but no one's actually ever taken the time to listen to them or giving them the forum to actually to mm. ask those questions and they're not making them feel uh inferior if they don't know the answers themselves or that and that's i think the most enjoyable thing for me admittedly we need to be able to to communicate on all levels so it's it's sort of from hopefully from a a, a high-end master of wine perspective if you're dealing with um people with significant knowledge but right down through to to every consumer, you need to be you need to be approachable. You never know who the next um, sort of uh, consistent consumer buying consumer is going to be. So you've got to be open to everybody. There's quite a few questions that people ask that the assumption is made um, because of the way that traditional methods sparkling wine is is um, I suppose put out into the market by champagne producers. Um, what does brute mean? Brute means dry. Um, a, c- a lot of consumers just assume it's actually a it's a style of wine rather than a, a dryness. Um, Vintage and non-vintage is another really interesting one that consumers don't necessarily understand the point of non-vintage wine. Um, In in the Australian market, non-vintage wine is perceived as a lesser quality product. That's not the case in Champagne. Some of the great wines um, out of the Champagne region are non-vintage wines. We prefer to view them as multi-vintage, which is the whole point. Um, And then there's obviously terminology things, dosage tirage there's lots of there's lots of little steps in the process that people um, need clarification on so I don't think there are any dumb questions it's more just no one's ever bothered to take the time to to explain it to them.
1: Marketing has made champagne a must at celebrations, but the obsession with clinking glasses has obscured the wonders of matching sparkling wine with all kinds of food, from canapes all the way to petit fours.
0: The approach to, to sparkling wine and food, or sparkling wine as a, as a celebratory drink, I think has been driven by the champagne industry. They, they have high volume, massively high volume, production so the way to get people to consistently buy champagne and cut through i suppose into the other styles in the market is to make it okay every time you you have a special celebration whether that's a birthday or mother's day um or christmas then you go for a bottle of champagne it keeps them consumers buying champagne all along um from a food matching point of view sparkling wine is an amazing um product to to match with match with food the the beauty of sparkling wine it's it's delicate it's complex but has massively high acidity so it allows you if you're if you think about it in the appropriate way it allows you to match sparkling wine with um, with things like duck and pork um, matching a, a, a sort of our vintage brut with a, a nice piece of um, a fatty roast pork that that acidity just cuts through uh, cuts through that fat beautifully. Something like beef, people assume that beef is a heavy, heavy meat product. It's only heavy and rich because people put sauces on it. If the the beef itself in isolation, if you think about something like a tartare, is actually really quite sweet and delicate. It's not a heavy product at all. So I think it's it's changing the mindset a little bit. Um, how you approach it. We've done regular sort of um, industry, restaurant industry visits to the cellar door where our chef has put together a sixth course digger station with sparkling all the way through. Um, and it surprises me that a lot of sommeliers have never done a sparkling, um, a sparkling wine match dinner. It's whether or not that's, it's not conventional, I suppose, because there aren't too many producers in Australia that just make... Sparkling wine we've got um, at the moment eight nine wines in our portfolio, so and they're all quite diverse um so it's 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 I think it's easy to do, but that's easy for me to say sitting where I sit because I do it every day, but I think it's more just people try to do conventional things so they will do. Sparkling with a with an oyster at the beginning of a meal, then they 'll do something maybe something light and delicate with with riesling and then slowly as the wines get heavier they will de- increase the heaviness of the of the product um, that they 're serving with that food but I think yeah there's massive diversity and especially then you 're getting into into aged wines as well.
1: Ian White loves sparkling wine for sure, but what drives him in his work at clover Hill
0: I, I love communicating i actually I am very passionate about. Um, about the product, but I'm also really passionate about uh, about talking to people and explaining it to people and getting people engaged in the product because it's quite unique in the, in the way that I think we deliver the, the experience. I, um, if you ask my wife, she tells me I just like to talk a lot. But I think um, the best way to instill passion into a consumer um, who's taking the time to visit your cellar doors is to be passionate about communicating about it. That's, people will buy something if they're engaged. If you try and sell to people, I think you get yourself into sort of a, 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 a potential spiralling situation of discounting and trying to chase the market rather than um, being very clear about who you are and what you are and engaging with people. And I think that's the same with any... Any sort of produce. I mean, if you look at some of the producers around this region, they're all extremely passionate about what they're making. As a result, what they're growing, what they're what they're breeding, as a result, the consumers are are engaging with them. No one's out there really really trying to heavily hard sell because first and foremost, they're passionate about what they're doing, and I think it's the same. It's the same with, with Clover Hill as a, as a brand. It's, it's, you're trying to get a discerning consumer that wants to be engaged with a brand that separates us from the bigger mass, um, mass market wine sales.
1: Clover Hill is part of a community of wine producers, but it's both broader and deeper than that. Ian outlines his perspective on the food and wine scene in this special part of Tasmania.
0: This part of the state uh, and Launceston, Tamar Valley overall um, has a, a really diverse um, um, range of produce um, for the for the region. Um, I think Hobart and the southern parts of the state possibly get a bit more publicity than the northeast of the state, but in the north... Uh, it's really has its roots in agriculture. So there's everything from, from uh, chestnuts, truffles, uh, great cheeses, um, uh, gourmet mushrooms now, beef, lamb, uh, pork producers, free-range pork producers, um, hops, all sorts of things. Um, there's also great potatoes. Um, there's uh, poppies, garlic, saffron, you name it. Everything's sort of grown right here. I think the future for this part of Tasmania is, is only just beginning. At this point, as a wine industry, I suppose, um, the conversation at the moment on a, on a sort of a higher level is still about Tasmania as a wine region rather than the the individual regions within Tasmania. That's not really being communicated yet um, on, a, on a statewide level, I think. So... I think as the more consumers become more engaged with the state and the different regions within the state and start to realise there is some major diversity in microclimates from north to south to east to west in the state, um, the they will more people will start to search out different experiences. We're very lucky up here because there is a, there's a range of different experiences that people can have, ranging from premium food and wine through to adventure with places like places like Derby, um, Blue Derby, the mountain bike trails. There's, there's fishing, there's hiking, there's you name it.
1: Ian White is more than a cellar door manager at Clover Hill. He's a mediator and a guide, finding visitors where they are on their sparkling wine journey and helping them find their way to where they want to go next. Along the way, he's an accidental ambassador for Northern Tasmania, sharing its stories and produce, enriching and deepening the engagement with local for those who visit the region. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Fallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at producerspodcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.